Welcome to the Guides Gone Wild podcast. What is Guides Gone Wild, you ask? This is where you'll fill your ears and minds with the stories of everyday, extraordinary women who will inspire you to take your outdoor adventure game to the next level. Whether you're starting your journey from the couch or the trailhead, this is the place for you, so let's get a little wild. Welcome back to God's Gone Wild. This is your host, Jen, coming to you from the podcast cave on a very snowy day in New England. I just realized that I'm on a streak of non-mainers for a few weeks here. Last week was Nancy Wind from Mass. This week, I'm talking to the absolutely delightful Melissa Goodwin from NYC, Brooklyn to be exact. Melissa is a New York hiking and camping guide and the girl using air quotes here, behind Girl Gotta Hike, the company, and Girl Gotta Hike, the podcast. As her website so succinctly puts it, Girl Gotta Hike encourages women of all ages to get away from the grind and connect with the ground online, on air, and through guided hikes and backpacking trips in and around NYC. It's your resource for information, encouragement, camaraderie, and confidence that will help you reach your personal summits. Melissa's fantastic podcast was a major source of inspiration when the idea for Guides Gone Wild started knocking around in my pandemic brain. I found the contrast between her amazing through-hiking resume and the accessible, beginner-friendly hikes and backpacking trips that predominate on the Girl Gotta Hike adventure schedule totally intriguing, and I knew I had to have her on the podcast. I kept trying to set up times to meet or talk, and Melissa kept swiping left. But as you've probably figured out by now, I can be a little persistent in my fangirl stalking. But in all seriousness, Melissa is a complete delight. She generously let me ask her about a billion questions about podcasting tech and all the cool guests she's had and the Northville Placid Trail and like 50 other things before we hung up. She's a wealth of knowledge and inspiration, as well as a logistical magician who manages to take people on substantial, life-changing hikes via public transportation. So all aboard for my conversation with Melissa Goodwin of Girl Got a Hike. Okay, we are rolling. Melissa Goodwin of Girl Got a Hike, welcome to the Guides Gone Wild podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. My distinct pleasure. We've been trying to make this happen for months and months now. Our hope was initially to try to get together in person and chat. One of the times that Melissa was kind of going up and down the 95 corridor, but she, I think, chose um, craft beer over me last time. <laughs> and I, I fully endorse that decision. So but, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that's quite right. Zoom is just as good. And uh, I would, I, I'd rather do it when we can both have crap beers together. And right now that's uh, it's not necessarily an option still, but anyway, so Melissa and I have a, a ton to talk about. So I'm going to dive right into it. I would love, um, I, I became familiar with her podcast and then through that, her guiding, she's a, a New York licensed guide camping and hiking, I think. Right. Yep. Yep. That's right. And so I would love to talk about kind of how you got into the outside, you know, the evolution of your guiding business, what it was like to become a New York guide, because we haven't talked to a New York guide yet. And we'll <laughs> see maybe how that differs from some of the other ladies we've talked to. And then we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But why don't you give us a little, a little background? Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in mostly in Western New York, Rochester, New York, and my parents uh, are big hikers and 
we didn't do a lot of backpacking, but we camped at campgrounds, you know, car campgrounds when I was a kid. And so the outdoors were always something that we were doing, cross-country skiing in the winter, um, hiking in the summer. Uh, I went to college in the Mid-Hudson Valley in New York in the town of New Paltz, which uh, you may have heard of the Gunks. Uh, it's a big area for rock climbing. And when I uh, was in school there, of course, continued hiking. And I actually worked at the state park in Minnewaska, Minnewaska State Park, which is right there on the Shawangunk Ridge. And so I was just a maintenance crew. You know, I wasn't a ranger or didn't really have aspirations for that. I just really did like being outside. And then, you know, the outdoors have continued to be a part of my life. You know, about when I was in my early 30s, my dad asked me to hike the Appalachian Trail with him. And so that's really when, when I through hiked is kind of when the backpacking bug really just set hold and has not let go. Um, yeah. I was going to so say, I, let's, let's say the first time you through hiked because you've subsequently <laughs> done some pretty epic ones, including even a through hike this year that I hadn't heard about that I'd love to talk to you more about, but yeah, run us through the, the through hike. So you and your dad, your dad was just like, Let's do this. Yeah. Well, he had always wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail since he was a teenager. A friend of his in the early 70s during high school, like went and did a section with his older brother and came back telling tales of the trail and all these stories. And I think that planted the seed for him and then, you know, continued working throughout his life. And he's like, okay, when I retire, I'm going to hike the AT. When I retire, I'm going to hike the AT. And I had read a walk in the woods and he had read a walk in the woods. And well, he ended up getting laid off a few years earlier than he intended to. And he just said, this is my time. You know, I'm going to do it. And my mom said, you're not doing it alone. <laughs> you know, I don't want you to go out there alone. And he, you know, asked a few friends and he asked my brother who was in grad school and he asked me, Hey, you're a freelancer. Maybe you want to come out for a month. And uh, immediately I said, sure, you know, it sounded like a great adventure. And as I started doing more research and reading more books and realizing, hey, I'm a freelancer, maybe I could actually do the whole thing. So even before we set foot on trail, I knew I was going to attempt the whole through hike of the AT and we did it. So that's, that's how we got, that's how we got on trail. A lot of people, once we were out there, thought that I convinced him like, oh, how'd you get your old man to come out here? And I was like, no, actually he asked me to come along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was this idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. And actually now that uh, you just said that it jogs my memory that you met Christy Holmes on the trail yes. too, right? Yep. Okay. Awesome. Yep. Um, who was a, you know, a, a fellow guest here on Guides Gone Wild. So that's right. And a lot the, of shared uh, background. And a guest on Girl Gotta Hike, the podcast too. Yes. That's number right. one episode, actually. That's right. That's number right. Two, but. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. So, so you definitely got the bug after that because while it looks like there were a few years in between, you definitely did some other through hikes. So yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I live. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. And I, well, uh, I was going to, I was going to say that your freelance role, like you've been a photographer for many years, right? That's kind of your main mm -hmm. primary gig. And, um, it's, it looked like from your portfolio, it's a lot of travel and outdoors and food and just community and really cool, cool pictures. You have a beautiful artistic eye, obviously, um, to do this for a profession. So kind of how did that play into it? If, uh, besides the fact that you had a little bit more availability to kind of make your own schedule. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. I came, let's see, well, I went to art school, you know, I took 
I was a Bachelor of Fine Arts major. I focused in photography and the outdoors and landscapes were always something that I was really drawn to and really enjoyed photographing. But then I got out of school and, you know, soon moved to New York City and started working inside mostly working for other photographers in studios on still life and food sets, not as much fashion and people portraits, but sometimes. And as I was going along in that business, you know, a lot of e-commerce, you know, products on white, that kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot of ways you can be a photographer, but I wasn't feeling super connected to it. I wasn't owning it. I had kind of just been doing the landscape stuff for fun. And so when this opportunity to hike the AT came around, it was like, oh, I can start to be more intentional now with my photography. And that was really kind of my motivation is, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get back in touch with photography and then hopefully be able to change how I go about my career going forward from there. And, you know, I still shoot a lot of products and objects and, but I make more of a focus on the outdoors now and, and that's starting to actually play out nicely. And I'm, you know, getting published in some outdoor publications and getting a little more known for that, but I still kind of have a pretty regular, couple of pretty regular steady clients that are more indoor based <laughs> as well. Uh, but they keep they keep the bills paid exactly. So. They yeah they 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 pay the bills and your gear you know all your new new gear purchases and and probably to a certain extent you know underwrite some of the work that you started doing on the girls got hike. But we're gonna get to that. So mm-hmm. so you did the AT and then kind of what did you have a natural next adventure type thing that you wanted to get involved in or, or where did you go from there? Well, once I started backpacking, once I hit the AT. And I came back to Brooklyn. Um, Once I finished the AT and came back to Brooklyn, it was kind of like, okay, now, now where do I go? I I don't want to just go out for one night camping. I want to go out for multiple nights. So I had explored some of the Catskills before, but I really started hitting the trails up there and trying to find some of the peaks where I could string together a few nights and a loop out of it, or, you know, just start checking off some of the peaks there. There's 35 peaks in the Catskills over 3,500 feet. So a lot of people go out and they try to get all 35 and get your club patch. And, you know, I've been ticking them off slowly over the years and I still don't have them all. I have about four left, but it's a great resource that's not too far away from New York. And, you know, you can get up and get back in a on a long day if you want to, um, but it's really great and accessible to get to over the, over a weekend. So yeah, started doing that and then, you know, doing all the trails that I could around here. And then, you know, the call for adventure continued and I had some friends who, you know, heard my tales about the Appalachian Trail and they said, I think I want to do this. One of my good friends invited me to start the AT with her for a week to kind of show her the ropes. So in 2015, I went back and did a week on the AT. And then in 2016, I hiked the John Muir Trail, which is out in California. That is about 212 miles in the Sierras. 2017, hiked the Long Trail, which is the length of Vermont. Took about three weeks. And then 2018, I got to go to Nepal and go to Everest Base Camp. Uh, 2019, I went back to the hundred mile wilderness, did that stretch. And then this past summer, I did the 140 mile Northville Placid trail in the Adirondacks. Yeah, that's outstanding. So, I mean, (laughs) how did, I guess I'm, I'm super curious how the Nepal thing happened, but then also, I guess I'd be curious just to hear, you know, those are 
you know, a million places, you know, not a million, but they're places that everybody want, you know, everybody who hikes and backpacks kind of has on their bucket list, anything in particular, um, any of those in particular stand out to you as being either maybe overrated for what people talk about or underrated for what people talk about? Like what was, what was surprising about? Oh man, I think, you know, being an East coaster, you know, primarily living in and around New York state, my whole life, you always hear hikers on the West coast really claim their mountains to be better. And that's not true. <laughs> we have great <laughs> mountains in the East coast. Um, and I think the East coast deserves a lot of recognition for even, you know, starting mountaineering and it's very hard hiking. The white mountains are really hard. Yeah. The Catskills are really tough. The Adirondacks. You go out tough. West and you're like, what are these things yeah. that go back and forth? And everyone's <laughs> like, they're switchbacks. Like, oh, we <laughs> so, don't have those. Where we're from. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm not, going into hiking in the Sierras, you know, I knew it was going to be pretty. I knew it was going to be really beautiful and it did not disappoint and won't say they're better than the East coast. Um, but it was, it, you know, it's worth the hype. The John Muir trail is really, really beautiful. And it did feel like such a breeze to hike, even, even though you're summiting, you know, the Southern terminus is Mount Whitney. It's 14,505 feet. It's the highest peak in the lower 48, the highest peak of California. You spend a lot of time above 10,000 feet. That was new to me. That was really tough to get used to. I live at sea level, you know, I live in Brooklyn. So that was hard, but the hiking itself, it, it was much easier walking. You know, there weren't, there weren't rock scrambles. Yeah. <laughs> there weren't rocks in the, I mean, there was scree, but it, a very clear path. So it was, was it mostly just like initially hard to breathe, hard to like headaches and things like that? Or was it yeah. kind of altitude sickness or what, what made it the hardest? Yeah, I, I wouldn't dry. say altitude <laughs> sickness, um, yeah. but definitely I noticed the elevation. I mean, we started in, there's a couple of starting points where you can get permits and, you know, in Yosemite Valley at Happy Isles is the place where the trail actually starts, but it's really hard to get a permit for that. You have to put yourself into a lottery. They only give out a certain amount per day. You have to schedule it six months in advance. And so, I mean, there's a whole story about how I got my permit, but anyway, I ended up starting at Tuolumne Meadows, which is about 20 miles into the trail. And that's on the Eastern side of Yosemite. So I actually, my brother was living in Reno at the time. So I went and I spent about two days, three days in Reno, which is at 5,000 feet before heading up to Tuolumne Meadows, which is at 8,000 feet. So I kind of got a little bit of acclimation in and you know, even walking around his backyard, I felt a little bit out of breath for a yeah. day or two <laughs> before you even strap your pack and everything else. So. Yeah. So it was, it was slow going and I met my, my good friend Sprout, that's her trail name. I, we were meeting up in Tuolumne to hike the trail together. And she had actually hiked South from Tahoe on the Pacific Crest Trail, 200 miles. So she was already in hiker shape by the time I got there. And, but she was very patient. So I was like, look, I have no idea how, um, how this is going to be for my body. And luckily we had plenty of time, you know, we, our permit we had for like 25 or 27 days, which is more than what we needed. Um, so we weren't in a huge rush to crush any miles. You know, we kind of were able to pick and choose where we wanted to sleep. And if we found a really nice lake or two lakes or three lakes during the day, we'd hop in and go for a quick dip and, and not let, you know, just really enjoy it for what it was, which was a different way than uh, a through hike, like the Appalachian trail, where you do have to just keep going and going and going, you know, this John Muir trail 
takes people as little as two weeks and as much as a month or five weeks. So depending on your hiking style, I, I would recommend taking as much time as you can. Mm-hmm. out there because it really is it's just so beautiful <laughs> there's yeah. so many nice places but it's it's very different hiking because we didn't summit very many mountains the only mount, mountain we summited was Whitney but because the mountains out there are so much taller you actually spend a lot of your days either going up 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 to go over a pass between two mountains oh yeah and then you go down 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 so you're spending eight miles going downhill as opposed to a lot of the East coast coast hiking where you're going up and then down and then up and then down your body, your, you know, your body gets to use all the muscles when you're going right, up and down. Right. And I just, you know, I remember coming down this one really, really, really long pass, you know, hours of coming downhill and then getting to this stream and just soaking my legs in this cold stream oh, for yeah. about 20 minutes because my knees were screaming. My ankles yeah, were screaming. That would have been, that would be rough. Even, yeah. Oof. Um, (laughs) So as a photographer, do you bring a lot of stuff with you on these? Like I would imagine it would be tempting to. Yeah. Yeah. My trail name is Click because I carried a big DSLR camera (laughs) strapped to the front of my backpack. Um, You know, I through hiked in 2011 and cameras have gotten a lot smaller by then. Yeah. Uh, by now. What, what did I just say? Anyway, cameras are <laughs> smaller now, but I still carry, I still carry a DSLR because I just prefer it. It's what I use professionally. Every time I bring something smaller, I regret it. It's the file size isn't as big. It's not as crisp or it's clear. So, you know, even though my overall pack weight has been reduced significantly in the, you know, 10 years or so that I've been backpacking, my camera gear has not really. You still get uh, the stink eye from all those hyper people about, that are coming well, by you. <laughs> I have a big camera and I've the last couple of hikes, Northville Placid Trail this summer, I also brought a tripod that isn't just a little mini tripod. I brought like a two and a half pound tripod. So I think my gear is around eight or nine pounds, Wow, which is what some people's base weight is for ultralight hiking. (laughs) So I don't go super fast. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm just weighed down a little more. But well, and then plus it. you got to worry about, you know, the, I would imagine then you have to worry about the waterproofing and all the other stuff too. So yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thankfully the year that I hiked the John Muir trail, we had about three hours of rain in 22 days. So I didn't really have to <laughs> put it away much. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I would imagine moisture was a bigger factor in New York and probably the the green mountains also. Yeah. Yeah. On the Appalachian trail at one point I got some uh, moisture like stuck in my lens. You know, it was just on the inside of the elements on the zoom. And I was in Hanover, New Hampshire, and actually went to the, uh, like the food co-op there and bought a bulk bag of rice (laughs) and packed out about a pound of rice uh, leaving town, which was, you know, definitely not, it wasn't for eating. It was to put the camera lens inside at night to hopefully like draw out the moisture. And then, you know, a few days later, I was able to ditch that bag of rice at the next town. that we yeah. went to. <laughs> That's right. Cause AT goes right, by, right through there. So mm-hmm. right by the co-op actually. So that's yeah. interesting. Um, so when did you kind of go from, I got to hike to every girl has to hike and this needs to be a thing. Yeah. So it kind of started the summer before, maybe the year I did the John Muir Trail. Uh, So around 2015, earlier that year, in order to gear up 
I don't know if it was that year or the year before, but I had a, I had a good friend who wanted to go out on a backpacking trip in the Sierras and didn't know anything about it and wanted, she had signed up with a friend for this group hike and she wanted some help just figuring out what to, what to wear, how to do it, what to carry. So we started training, I want to say in like January and just going out once every couple of weeks, pick a different place. I'd pick a different place in Harriman State Park or, you know, somewhere in the Hudson Valley, maybe in the Catskills. It's like, okay, let's go here. Let, you know, let's go here. And as as her and I started going out, some other of our friends wanted to come out as well. And so then it would be like, okay, Melissa, where are we going this week? You know, where are we going now? You let us know what's happening. So I think it, it just kind of started naturally. And then going into the John Muir Trail, I had I had been floating the, around the idea of having a website or having something called Girl Got a Hike, not necessarily being a guide yet. More, I just wanted to, I don't know, have it be, I don't know what I had in mind, but I wanted to be able to, you know, take pictures and write about hiking. And I really enjoyed the group of females friends that I had gathered together. It was kind of a natural extension out of the friends I really stayed in touch with from the AT were the other female hikers. And, you know, Sprout, who I know we through hiked, you know, we became friends on the AT. Christy, who of, you know, main women hunters, we became friends on the AT. So these are the people I've tended to stay in touch with and who I, you know, who I really like going out and having other adventures with. So it was kind of a combination of those two things and recognizing that that's what I really liked about this backpacking thing is doing it with friends. And it was just a different experience going out with only females than it was on the AT where I was one of very few females. I think that's changed in the last decade. Uh, There is a greater, you know, female population out there, but in my year, it was pretty limited. Yeah. But the interesting statistic that I, that I learned when I listened to the podcast that you did with Christy and Sprout was that while the men far outnumber the number of women who start every year, by the time you get to the end of the trail, it was like, it's like a 50, 50 completion rate. Right. Of course, this was at the end of a conversation where we were Everybody was kind of tooling on men's egos and how they how they think they can do everything and women think don't think they can do anything and women won't even do it until they get really ready and you yeah. know are confident that they can do things. But so I think that that's interesting. Um, obviously, you know, you you became Julie friendly neighborhood cruise director for your friends whenever they would want to go outside the city and go hiking. But at some point, you started to think about bringing complete strangers and and. Is that kind of when you were like, oh, maybe I need to become a guide now? Or like, how did that whole thing kind of come together? Yeah, I think in that time frame, in doing those hikes, the idea of the idea of bringing others into it started also because my friends weren't always available anymore. And I still really wanted to get out there. And it was like, you know, oh, one of them had a baby and one of them's work requirements, you know, started being more intrusive and you know all that kind of stuff so it wasn't I was like okay we've got this momentum going let's keep it and I think my husband actually is the one that suggested to me like hey you could do this for a business you know you really enjoy this why don't you think about doing that for a business you have this unique perspective and so I thought all right if I'm going to do this for a business I want to do it legit. I want to get a guide license. And I just started looking into what the requirements for New York state were. And they're not really that difficult. 
uh, to become a New York State guide. It's not like becoming a registered Maine guide, which is very in depth. You know, you have to know about your particular area of the outdoors. You have, there's some common sense, you know, safety concerns. You have to know about hypothermia and meal planning and, you know, trip planning and stuff like that. But it, that is just something that for me became very natural having mm-hmm. spent so much time backpacking, you know, just more the idea of a group and keeping everyone safe in a group. So some safety things, considerations, you know, navigation. So you get tested on that. And then you also need to have a first aid and CPR need to have a note from your doctor that says you're fit enough to be a guide, but the different arenas of the outdoors, you know, there's different requirements. If you were a hunting guide, you would need to know specifically about hunting things and if right, you're right. a fishing guide, you need to know limits and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. as a, a hiking and a camping guide, what I need to know is uh, is what you already knew. What I already knew. <laughs> Pretty much. For, you know, state regulations. <laughs> right. That's the other big thing. Um, where can you camp? Where are you not allowed to camp? Where are you allowed to build a fire? Where are you not allowed to build a fire? And different things about like actual state forest. But yeah, yeah so I just thought, okay, well, I'll get the license. And then we'll see. We'll go from yep. there. So I got You're the license. Like, I don't want to go backpacking with you all the time. So get your <laughs> license so you can yeah. take some new friends. <laughs> yeah. My husband was actually like, you know, you used to like hiking. Now that's all you want to do. <laughs> can we do something else? <laughs> do something else for a vacation. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So what I think is so interesting about Girl Gotta Hike, I mean, you know, you're still based in Brooklyn. It's not like you moved out into the hinterlands to do this. So, and a lot of what you at least, well, actually, I think you even managed to do it some during the pandemic too. You've been, you do a lot of public transit based trips, which I think is like bonkers. I can't even, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the public transit system in Boston, which is probably the city closest to me is nothing to write home about when it comes to regularity of schedule and, you know, consistency. So I can't even imagine piling that challenge on top of the logistical challenges around planning any kind of trip and taking any kind of number of people out that you don't necessarily know them and that you don't know their capabilities. And, you know, and then to put that up against a hard deadline of like, holy shit, if we miss this train, we were, you know, <laughs> what, what is plan B? So how did that whole thing kind of happen? And tell me more about that. Yeah. Yeah. That is the logistics uh, is probably the toughest part of this job <laughs> because I have actually most of my time living in New York had a car and having gone to school in the Hudson Valley and knowing Minnewaska and knowing the Catskills, you know, I always thought, okay, that's how you get to trail. You drive there. But I knew that plenty of trails were accessible by public transit. Uh, the New York, New Jersey trail conference does a really great job on their website of having, um, you know, this kind of trail finder and you can kind of mark it off for, you know, how do you get here by public transit? So that that's a resource that I use to kind of sometimes if I'm looking for a new hike and I, I can't think of, you know, a new place to go, I'll, I'll start there. But just in knowing the area, it's like, oh, that's kind of near the train, you know, how maybe we can get there by doing a train and an Uber, you know, um, trying to explore a little farther. But that's the biggest hurdle for people in New York. So many people here don't have cars. And so many people do want to get outside. When I first moved here, I didn't have a car. Uh, You know, I had had one as I grew up in the suburbs. I had one in college. I just didn't have one when I moved here. And once I had that car again, and I had that option out, it just felt like such a relief that, you know, being a guide, I'm like, oh, a lot of people don't have that relief. They, you know, all right, where can we go 
So that, that kind of became a big motivation is me finding places that are accessible by trail and that aren't exactly the one, the, the places that everybody knows. You know, there are some Breakneck Ridge, for example, it's all along the Hudson River um, near the town of Cold Spring. And it is one of the most popular hikes that you, because it's one of the most easily accessible hikes that you can get to. There's actually a Metro North train stop right there. And so you go there on a weekend on a Saturday and it's really doesn't feel like you've really left the city. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful uh, cliff side, this huge rise above the Hudson River in less than a mile, you go up about 800, 900 feet and it's just amazing views. Uh, but it's also a whole lot of people. You could probably so, find a more remote place within Central Park and not have to go <laughs> to <see> it all. <laughs> yeah. So the, the big challenge, you know, that I try to set for myself is, you know, how can I get to the places that are still accessible, but aren't also overcrowded? Because what do I want when I get out of the city? You know, I want a little break from the noise. I want a little peace and solitude and I want, you know, I want some adventure. So that's been you know, my personal challenge is where can I find that's accessible, but isn't overcrowded. And, you know, this year in the pandemic, it, it's a really great thing. I mean, so many people have been able to explore by public transit and they've been able to explore more that even the lesser crowded trails that I used to think were my secret trails um, have been found. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that's great though, because, you know, while you were speaking too, it just occurred to me, I mean, there's, yes, there are many, many people in New York that don't have cars, but who could potentially, you know, get a zip car or an Uber or something like that if they wanted to. But then there's just a ginormous number of people who that's just out of their reach financially. And so yeah. then, you know, this is, this is giving a new opportunity to get it out in the, the wild, hopefully, um, to folks who maybe wouldn't have even considered doing that before. I guess then the next challenge becomes, how do you... A, reach these groups of people who've been very underrepresented in the outdoors for many, many good reasons. Not not good reasons, but obvious <laughs> reasons, I guess is what I mean. But, and then also, you know, how do you get them to take the chance on you and, and come on one of these trips? Because I think there's also a very... Um, natural inclination to be a little bit hesitant about like, I've been interested about, I've been curious about this, but you know, this is like going off somewhere an hour plus away with a bunch of strangers, you know, who seem like they're well-intentioned, but are they really, you know, I just feel like there's a ton of barriers there, but you've obviously had a lot of luck getting not just kind of the traditional, you know, white outdoorsy people out into the outdoors. So kind of tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. You know, I'm not really sure how it happened. I think it's, it's just me putting myself out there. And I, I hope that I think one keeping the public transit series at an affordable price is helpful. I think just in general, I think it being a women's only group is going to draw, you know, people who are maybe insecure about trying something new do find that girl got a hike is what's the word I'm looking for. I'm very open to newbie hikers. You know, I'm very open about um, helping people figure out how to get there. I think, I think if there's a lot of hiking clubs that have been around New York city for a really long time, and some of them are very elite and they go very far and they go very fast. So I think just the fact that I am offering at least sometimes shorter hikes, ones that you aren't going to be gone all day and it's affordable 
And then once you sign up, you get a checklist from me of what to bring. I'm very open to having people ask me questions and email me. And I think, you know, what has happened for me, it's mostly been word of mouth. You know, it's been word of mouth. One friend likes it. They tell a friend or they post about it on Instagram and someone else sees their post. I had one hiker who said, you know, I've been following you for seven months. I haven't been able to be come on a hike yet because one of her friends had come on one of my hikes. And I think that I think. I'm not sure if I'm doing anything particularly special to try and attract groups that are underrepresented, but I think it has just happened, thankfully, that 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 people have come on the hikes who aren't normally represented. And then that shows in the images, that shows in the way that I help people get out there. I think I'm a, a open person and I can help people figure out how to get there. It has just kind of compounded and I'm going forward though. I know that there's more that I can do. And I think part of that is as the business grows for me to actively, once I am in a place, which is hopefully going to be this year, Mm -hmm. uh, where I can have more guides, making sure that my guides are people of color, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that it is someone who shares these same values of like, the importance of mental health and the importance of getting people outside. And I think that the, you know, the people I've come across and I've been able to interview for the podcast, having that out there, it just, you know, I think a big thing with hiking or trying anything new is like, you have to have a friend who is doing it to get you out there. Or, you know, maybe for women in general, it's easier if your friend's doing it. Okay. I can do it too. And I think that that gives, you know, once your friend does it and gives it the go ahead, you know, it's you're a little more apt to try something new. And so I try to be everyone's like trail bestie. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, for sure. I was going to ask you, you know, I I can imagine, it sounds like you've got a lot of repeat customers now, people that have Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, either come out and just, you know, consider this their little hiking club or, and even just some spinoff groups that have found new friends and then, you know, they can do stuff on their own free time too. I was going to ask like, you know, how do you kind of approach when you have, a group and have you run into the issues yet where you've got so many repeat clients that you know you'll do a certain hike and you know there's only one new person there and how does that whole dynamic work yeah, i mean you're almost getting that popular now yeah no many 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 of my hikers are repeat hikers and um you know the pandemic has been interesting because some of my regular hikers or who used to be regular hikers maybe have reasons to stay home. They're maybe immunocompromised or someone in their family is. And so someone who used to be a regular hiker, I haven't seen in almost a year. And then other people who are like, I can't go to the gym. I can't, you know, do all these. I can't go to my yoga class. I can't do whatever, all these other things I used to do. I'm going mad in my apartment have found Girl Gotta Hike. So this last year has been really interesting mix of some people who've been around since the beginning and then a whole lot of new hikers. I think in my hike in December, all new people I'd never met before. You know, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's great. The word of mouth thing is, has been the biggest source of new hikers for me. And then also lately I'm getting email requests from people that don't even live in New York to have me be a private guide request. And they're because they're visiting New York or No, just, just, they've found me as a guide on Google. Oh, that's so interesting. I guess, I guess there aren't that many female guides through hikers. Right. Right. I don't know what they're searching, but it, the word is spreading and I I tend to come up. So 
Well, and you're doing the podcast, which has got a ton, 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 ton of downloads. And I do think that there's something to podcasting that makes you feel like, you know, especially when you listen to a lot of them, you know, you get to feel like, you know, the person who's talking on the other end and you've got like the most calming, lovely (laughs) voice and your shows are so well-produced and it's like you and Gail Straub are like my, I fangirl all the time. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, if I can ever sound like these guys, girls, I'd be like doing, doing something right. But I'm not, I'm just me, the scratchy, (laughs) scratchy old lady, (laughs) which is fine. Everyone has to have their niche, right? (laughs) Um, So that's finding the niche. I think that's what girl got a hike is just this interesting niche of city, you know, female city focused with uh, the, I think the biggest thing for me that I had to realize is, is I really do try to promote the camaraderie aspect of it. And I think that that goes a long way too. And I think anyone who comes on my hikes is open to being friendly. Right. Yeah. You know, Which I, is I good. I mean, you, you almost want people to self-select that way because you don't want to have some hardcore show up and then be like, oh, this stinks. We're going too slow or whatever. You know, you're like, no, stay home, please. Yeah. Don't don't come with me. <laughs> Did you do any kind of virtual community stuff during those few months when everybody was afraid of their own shadow or you're just kind of like, I'm waiting to see what happens? I intended to. Like yeah. I intended to do many, many other things in my home, <laughs> um, but I never really got around to it. Uh, I I just, I couldn't quite get it together. <laughs> and you didn't need to, in, in retrospect, yeah. just, you know, kind of being outside and distancing is, is good. So yeah. Yeah. So once, once the like stay at home was, you know, eased a little bit. Um, and I started getting a ton of requests for more hikers. And I felt like, okay, if people are open to taking public transit, you know, I hadn't been on the subway in months, but I, then it was like, okay, they are well, then I'll bring it back. And then that's cool. Since you're, you're staying in state primarily, I mean, actually New York, you guys were able to at least come up North to the new England area after the first major crushing thing. But yeah, I suppose that that is, uh, that that's been a good thing. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit because I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Melissa and she's in command central in her apartment or condo mm-hmm. or whatever she's got in New York. I see maps behind her and peace flags and gear. And one of the <laughs> things I did want to talk about was, you know, I live in like suburban purgatory where, you know, I'm not really close to a city, but I'm not really close to the country. And, but, you know, I do have plenty of basement and whatever garage space to put all my you know, although my craft does <laughs> seem to expand to fit whatever space I have to put it in. But how do you manage being, you know, outdoorsy, especially a backpacker in a small space? Like you come home from a, you know, when you came home from the hundred mile wilderness, my guess is most of what you had did not smell good, was not clean, <laughs> and you didn't really necessarily want it anywhere near you. Um, how do you manage that? Um, poorly. No, just kidding. <laughs> Uh, you make it fit. Uh, I really, actually, that was a, that was a big project I wanted to do in the early part of the pandemic. And I've just kind of, uh, slacked on that. So that's my goal for 2021 is to do some better storage as, as the business grows, I get more tents. I think I'm up to nine tents right now. And just for context, I am in an apartment. It's a co-op building pre-war six, no, 750 square feet. So not very big. Nice high ceilings though. looks like high ceilings. Yeah. Yeah. And we do have some, you wish you could go up. Yeah. Yeah. We have some storage in the basement, but yeah. And you're a photographer. So you are, so actually that what you're you're seeing behind me is mostly my photo gear. (laughs) (laughs) The camping gear is kind of like higher and in that corner that you can't see. 
Yeah. Uh, it's, it's careful placement. It's just shoving it into corners, but yeah, keeping it clean and, you know, like coming back from a trip and, uh, having to immediately go back to work as a photographer the next day, let's say I had like a long trip. Was it this summer or the end of last year? I can't remember, but I had like my tamp, my tent was damp and, uh, I forgot to unpack it for a couple of days, oh. maybe a week, maybe two weeks. And then, you know, I didn't have any more uh, clients that year. Yeah. It must've been the end of the <laughs> end of the fall. And so finally I got, it. I was like, Oh wait, I think that tent was wet. And so yeah, took it out and then, you know, kind of smelled like mildew and it's, so it's washing a tent in a bathtub, you know, rinsing it three, four times and then stringing up uh, rope kind of across the apartment <laughs> wherever I can to let things dry. It, it is kind of a, like a obstacle course uh, when that happens. But yeah, uh, I think being a New Yorker in general, you have to be kind of selective about what you have. Mm-hmm. So I try to only have what I really need for the business, but more New Yorkers, you know, don't have gear space for gear either. So I am finding that I'm getting more gear and then renting it out. And so, Mm -hmm. um, but just really trying to get like the best gear that I can afford for the business that is small and lightweight because that's what I use backpacking anyway. So that's kind of what I want my people to carry when they're out there. And I, I do need a little purge though. I've lived in this apartment for quite some time. So I think just in the natural progression of things, I need to clear some old stuff out so that I can have new room for more gear. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear that the, you know, I'm glad to see kind of the circular economy when it comes to textiles and things like that is starting to take hold in the outdoor space too, because it, it, it sometimes is horrifying. I I had a roommate once who we lived, we had rented this house for a year. It was me and like these three guys. And one of the guys was super into backpacking. When we moved out, he, we had this like weird storage space under the staircase. He took like I think he just, when he couldn't find something, he just bought it again. And he had like 15 backpacks. It was, it was horrifying. And back then it was, this was like pre-Facebook for Christ's sake. And so like, what do you do with all that stuff? You know, he did, I don't think that he did anything good with it. Maybe he found yeah. some friends to take some of it, but the rest of it probably wound up in, you know, a landfill somewhere, which is just awful. So it's yeah. nice but- to see all the consignment places popping up and absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to say, in addition to backpacking gear, my husband and I used to both be really into triathlons. So we have bicycles and wetsuits oh, in the house. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. And a lot yeah. of pulley systems, I would guess. <laughs> let's raise that up. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, let's talk, speaking of gear, let's, you, sure. you alluded to the fact that you're very newbie friendly. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me from your experience now with a couple years of, a few years, more than a few years of girl got a hike under your belt. Like, what do you find that your newbies are most concerned about that they shouldn't be? And conversely, what are things they don't often come prepared for that you really wish they would? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest concern is clothing. I think a lot of hikers, a lot of wannabe hikers think they need something special for hiking. And I think, uh, you know, weather dependent, of course, you just need a good pair of, it could be sneakers. You could start with sneakers. You just need something with good tread and you need some clothes that are wicking. So a lot of times it's not that you actually need something specific. If you're going on a day hike an hour outside the city, 
you can use your workout clothes that you may already have. You can use the sneakers that you may already have. And then if you decide that you like hiking, then you can upgrade from there. You could get hiking boots or more, you know, trail runners, or you can get hiking sticks. I mean, that's when someone, I, I can tell when they really get into hiking, because I always carry my trekking poles with me. If someone's been out with me for a few times, and then they're like, well, what are those trekking poles all about? Like, I can tell they really like it if they decide to purchase some trekking poles. And sorry, what was the other part? What the other uh, part was maybe stuff that they don't think about or worry about. And then they show up. I mean, you give them a packing list. So I suppose, mm-hmm. and, and some tips, so probably this doesn't yeah. happen as often, but maybe something that you find like, oh, geez, I really wish they would have brought this or thought of this or. Yeah. I, thankfully I had, I, I, nothing is, thankfully nothing's really standing out in my mind. Like, oh, that one person, I can't believe they brought, <laughs> can't believe they brought that. Yeah. No, nothing's really standing out in my mind about that. I think maybe same thing, maybe people bring too many clothes, but I think that's a, a better thing to carry is to have more than you need in terms of that. You know, I, it's until you do some of these things, you don't know what your body can do. Like we did a hike this past fall and I suggested, Hey, it's going to be cold. You guys might want to have Merino wool or some kind of underlayer, you know, something under. And then one of my hikers had a really heavy layer of Merino wool and found out that she was sweating. Like, you know, we're going on the regular hike and she's like, I just, I wish I had a different shirt with me, get this thing off off of me. Um, And so now she realized she doesn't, you know, maybe for sleeping, but not for actually being active. But yeah, I can't really think of, of too many things I do. I have learned. I mean, that's kind of over the course of taking people out via public transit and taking them out and learning all of the logistics, I've been able to kind of hone in on, on what to tell people to bring and what to expect about timeframes as well. That was probably the biggest thing for me when I was, you know, starting to guide people is, you know, I know I'm, I know I have a lot of experience and I know I can go a certain pace, but recognizing that when you have a group at, well, pre-COVID, the, I would sometimes have as many as 14 hikers with me. Wow. That can just, you know, there's going to be a range of paces. So even though I've like already slowed down my time frame, maybe I also need to add on another hour. And I've kind of just learned that over time with the dynamics of a group, but try to really do a good description of what the hike is, gauge it. You know, this is easy. This is medium. This is hard. Um, hopefully people will self-select any, any, generally that works. Any, out any well. epic disaster stories that you remember from the early days? Um, one of my first hikes involved taking a bus that only ran a few times a day. Hmm. And so that, uh, we missed the bus, <laughs> we missed the bus, but we were able to get an Uber to a nearer nearby town and then catch a train. So luckily there were a couple of options uh, for that hike. Otherwise we would have been waiting around another three hours for the next one. Yeah. And, you know, I try to give, I try to give everyone a good idea of when you're going to get home and realistic. Cause the hike might only be four hours. The hike might be three hours. It might be five hours, but the transit there and back, you're going to add on another, depending on how far away you go. It, it could be a full day. Yeah. You know, we could be meeting at Grand Central at 730 in the morning and not get back until 730 at night. So I think from what I've learned is just really prep everyone for how long of a day it is, even if the hike isn't going to be that long. Yeah. Um, it, that's the added thing that New Yorkers have that other people 
who live closer to the mountains don't have to deal with right. it and just hop in the car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. how, how are you received when you take a group of, you know, 12 women on a fairly rigorous hike and then everybody piles back onto some sort of public transportation together yeah. on the back end. Yeah. How does no, the rest of the passengers feel about that? <laughs> I, you know, they seem a little shocked, like, oh, where do all these people come from? But no, generally it's received pretty well. Uh, and I, when we're out on trail as a big group, I try to also make sure that if one person's coming the other way, we all step aside and let them go. You know, I try to impart that trail etiquette to my hikers because, you know, these days though, I'm taking out basically a max of eight, right? Um, you know, most outdoor restrictions in New York and New Jersey, they're trying to limit group size to 10. So if it's me and maybe another guide and then eight hikers that, and also that's a lot easier to, to manage, you know, that's yeah, a good kind of sure. sweet spot where if there are new hikers and there are you know, people who've been on them before, there's a good mix and everyone can kind of chat with each other and yet not feel like there's only one other person to talk to. You know? Right. But right. sometimes things happen and people have to drop out. They miss the train. I'll still go out with one or two other people. Yeah. You know, still a fun day. Still outside. For sure. Exactly. Always better. Well, I can't say it's better than a bad day at work because you have a really fun job. So, but for the rest <laughs> of us, it's better than a bad day at work. Um, yeah. All right. Well, two more questions. And then I want you to tell everybody how to see everything, all of all the good stuff about you. Sure. But first one is with all of your long distance hiking experience, tell me something good to eat. Like what would you recommend for fuel? Oh man. Uh, what did you tend to bring? Were you a, a cold I'm food a, person, a hot food person? A... I'm a hot food person. I like, yeah. I like coffee in the morning. I like hot, uh, ramen soup at night. Uh, you're like, ramen... I'm carrying 10 pounds of camera gear. I'm yeah, bringing a freaking jet boy. <laughs> What's a titanium stove? Yeah, exactly. It's really <laughs> negligible after that. Um, yeah. Oh, it depends on, you know, the hike, but I, my go-to like junk food, I would say salt and vinegar potato chips are definitely a go-to. And you can kind of add those to anything if you need to thicken up your soup at night. And some kind of like chewy, fruity thing, Skittles, Starburst, peach jelly things. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> those are kind of, I always need to have some salty and some sweet. Yeah. I think. That's a good yeah. combo. Pretty All right. And then my, my last question that I ask everybody is what is your favorite piece of outdoor gear that you have? That's less than 50 bucks cost you less, okay. less than 50 bucks. Uh, I really like my dirty girl gators. They're fun. The gators trail flare. Yeah. Um, the, I think it, it was more of like a PCT West coast thing. Uh, they're just, you know, spandex and stretchy and they come in really fun patterns and designs. They're not waterproof. They don't, you know, keep the rain out and they don't, but they keep dirt and little sticks and rocks. dirt. Yeah. yeah. Ticks, out of your shoes. I would imagine are probably yeah. an issue. Yeah. And then, you know, you can get them in zebra stripes or tie dye or watermelon print. Like it's just kind of a fun, I, when I did the John Muir trail, I had mine kind of match my <laughs> puffy that I had, you know, it's just like a little, I I'm not in real life, somebody that really cares so much about fashion, but I get out but on trail a and I have a look. You know that there's color composition. Yeah. It's a, you know, like I got to look good for these. Yeah. I, every season I kind of have like a color or a look out on trail and, you know, I live in New York city and I really, most of the time don't really I could care less about fashion, but I don't know. Get me on trail. And, <laughs> and then and I want to match. Dirty girls better match my puffy. <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's awesome. Uh, all right. Well, Melissa, this has been awesome. Thank you so, so much. You've been You're so generous welcome. with your time and uh, I could do this all night, but, but oh. I won't. Um, girlgetahike.com. Yes. What else? Uh, okay. Girl Gotta Hike, the podcast. The uh, podcast. You can find it anywhere on Apple, Spotify, all the places. Um, Instagram is at girl got a hike and, and Melissa Goodwin Photography.com. Beautiful images. Yep. If anyone is looking for a commercial photographer, she, you have found yes. a fabulous one. Yes. Right, Taking great. outdoor commissions. <laughs> please, please, please <laughs> give me a reason to be outside and pay me. Yes. I love that. All right. That's awesome. the goal. Good. Well, this has been super fun. As I said, I definitely recommend you check out the podcast and I'm, I'll link up a couple of my um, recent favorite episodes as well, because it's just fantastic. And, you know, just pretty much everything you do is fantastic. So I'm Aww. excited to see what the future holds for Girl Got a Hike. So thank you again. You're welcome. Thanks. If you are now loving Melissa as much as I am, I would highly recommend you subscribe to her Girl Gotta Hike podcast. I really enjoyed one of our most recent episodes with two Girl Gotta Hike participants, alumna, whatever you want to call them, who had moved to Brooklyn from the Caribbean island of St. Vincent and who found each other and a larger community of outdoor enthusiasts through Girl Gotta Hike. They've since gone on and started their own hiking group, the Tri-State Hikers, and are hard at work building another supportive community around their passion while also assisting Melissa on more of her public transit hikes. And speaking of community building, another story that warmed my heart lately. Just this past week, I was thrilled to be CC'd on an email chain involving three of my former podcast guests, Alicia Hayburn of Teens to Trails, Jenna Vanny of Woods and Waters Gear Exchange, and Joy, mascot of Lifted Outdoors. Joy was in the process of coordinating the payout of the money raised for Teens to Trails through her Lifted Outdoor holiday lifted outdoors holiday point of sale fundraising effort um, which was happening at Jenna Vanny's consignment store and they were nice enough to fill me in and Alicia adorably referred to them all as guides gone wild sisters which almost brought me to tears anyway back to today's takeaways this week we're going to do it in uh, a three truths and a lie style first look for ways to make your activities more inclusive and accessible second Community is everything, so take a chance on new experiences. Never be afraid to ask questions because the people who will help raise you up will always be willing to answer them. Third, check yourself along the way. Make sure you build in time for taking in the views and enjoying the journey because the destination is never 100% guaranteed. And finally, make sure your puffy matches your socks. Instagram will thank you. Okay, so that last one isn't really a lie, but... Maybe the least critical takeaway from Melissa, but it was a riot, so I had to find a way to get it in there. Anyway, that's it for now. Time to get cracking on your plans for Valentine's Day this weekend. Let's make it a little wild. <laughs>